Nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Coming up on the Money Beat Food Fight Friday, Bill Ackman and Warren Buffett squaring off over the issue of morality and investing And what does it mean to be off the record in an era of social media? Bringing the world to your ears. You're listening to The Wall Street Journal. Award-winning reporters. Original insights. Now, Money Beat. Hello, this is Paul Vigna for the Friday Food Fight, joined by Barron's Jack Otter, my colleague on the Money Beat blog, Eric Holm, and Market Watch's Chuck Jaffe. Uh, gentlemen, here are the, the topics we can talk about. And, and as always, I am pulling these from an extremely credible source called Twitter Moments. We have celebrity tweets you missed. I think that's important. Oh, gosh. I hope I didn't miss any. World Kindness Day. Oh, mm-hmm. my. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1D drops new album. Who? Exactly. <laughs> Uh, and mysterious laser strikes intensify. Or we could talk about uh, Warren Buffett and Bill Ackman. I vote for the last one, Bob. You vote for the last one? That's not a Twitter uh, moment, though. M- Mr. Holm, you've, you've written about this a little bit this week. Interesting stuff. Uh, Warren Buffett and his, his right-hand man, Charlie Munger, kind of uh, you know bopping Bill Ackman on the nose a little bit over his investment in Valiant, which Munger called a, a deeply immoral company. Ackman, who professes great love for Buffett, uh, cracked back about his holdings in Coke. And so we've gotten into this thing about wh- whose portfolio was more moral, which to me sounds like, you know, sharks. Such a strange question, it, it, right? It sounds like sharks talking about which fish they should eat. <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't understand why we're even having this debate. Well, I mean, we're, we're having this debate because, um, I mean, because Bill Ackman got uh, a little smacked down by someone who he considers to be an idol. You know, and he's... He's compared to and has compared himself at times to to Buffett. He certainly modeled himself after Buffett to some degree. Um, so I think he was a little bit stung by these comments from Munger that it's a deeply immoral company. That Valiant's one of his biggest holdings is a is a deeply immoral company. Um, Munger, of course, was speaking as a, a, a partly as a trustee of a hospital. Uh, mm-hmm. which, it wasn't like he was coming out of left field. Right. right. Um, and Valiant has raised drug prices. Um, which is uh, and uh, sharply, why, why sharply, yeah sharply, which is why yes, why yes. Munger had a problem with right them. right yeah and, you know the thing that I think is interesting and I want to get your take on this too Jack is it, it seems to me that this really struck a nerve I mean we've been oh, writing really? about it all yeah, week yeah, yeah. it got a lot of attention it got a, and it, it's really just a bunch of rich guys with comments about who you know <laughs> companies why why and 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 Chuck Jaffe I want your opinion on this too why does an issue like this draw such attention. There's, there's so many interesting threads here. I mean, first of all, Ackman is a great debater. He loves a fight. Um, I mean, I think that's half the reason he's doing this Herbalife thing. Mm-hmm. The guy just seems to love a fight. Uh, Munger really is, to me, a wise man to whom we should all listen. I mean, anyone with time on their hands, go find the, the um, video of Munger discussing how the financial crisis was a crisis of accounting. If people actually paid attention to accounting, we never would have had that crisis. And there are just so many other lessons one can get from Munger that they should. Um, as great a debater as Ackman is, I still think it's superficial. You do not have to drink Coke. If you are sick, you have to take medicine. So it was an imperfect analogy that he made, um, but, you know, who cares? <laughs> it made for a good story. <laughs> I'll but take it a step further yeah, Chuck. in terms of how imperfect the analogy is, which is part of the message 
you know, if you want to make the argument that Coke, and I will disclose, I am a shareholder in Coke, and I bought it around the time Warren Buffett was buying it. That means the 1980s. You know, you weren't getting the research. Ackman's point about, well, hey, it's doing whatever. Yeah, that wasn't being made back in the 1980s. The points that were being made about Valiant, and my point being, that wasn't an issue when Buffett started acquiring Coca-Cola shares. It was. The issues that Munger talks about have been issues while Ackman has been actively acquiring Valiant shares. And so that's a, that's a significant difference as well in that, you know, who knows what's going to happen with a company tomorrow. You're allowed to say, hey, I bought this company and then an issue came up and I got rid of it. But, you know. And, but Buffett and again, can't, uh, in, in you know, practical terms, Berkshire can't really sell its Coke steak given how huge its profit is, the tax hit on selling that would be monstrous if they, if they even wanted to, which well, doesn't sound I, like I also do. think that, that, again, there is a difference. They went into that business knowing what they were doing and everything else. Sure. And as you know, people can make a voluntary decision to not drink Coca-Cola. And, oh, by the way, Coke expanded its business into plenty of other things. It, the Coke is in the business of providing folks what you want and at a price that you're willing to buy it. That's not necessarily the case mm. when you talk about a drug company raising drug prices on people who can't afford it. Yeah, what do you make of? So today in the paper, again, because this has struck such a nerve, we keep writing about it, a really interesting story by our Anna Prita Das about this charge that gets leveled at Buffett time and again, you hear this, that he is a hypocrite, that he comes off as, you know, the folksy uncle, everyone's favorite old buddy, Uncle Warren, who eats hot dogs and drinks coke, you know, but he really is one of the sharks. It, and that is, I think, the biggest, the the most interesting thing about this. It, it it's it's something that, as someone who's I've covered Buffett for a long time, avuncular. That was the word. <laughs> That's the word they always use with him, right? Yeah, or folksy. He, folksy. He, yeah. And and it's it's something that I hear time and time again, and it's a very interesting question. Um, and a lot of the times, not every time, but a lot of the times, when I hear someone complain about the reason they think Warren Buffett is a hypocrite, it's because they have not bothered to fully listen to what Warren Buffett has to say. Exactly. Uh, they have an agenda. They're on the other side of the Buffett agenda, and so they cherry-pick what they think were Buffett actions that make him a hypocrite. And really, I think you and I agree, they don't make him a hypocrite. And I, I don't want to sound, come across as a Buffett apologist, too, because, uh, you know, let, let's run through the and biggest you, complaints. you've written about this a lot. Yeah, yeah, let's should, run through some of the complaints sector. about them, and then I'll tell you ways that you that uh, things I haven't heard as much where you could argue that he's a hypocrite. But uh, the two big ones that I hear a lot are t- taxes— and his stance on derivatives. And there are others, but these are two big ones. Are there others that you guys have heard? Uh, those are huge. I mean, the tax one particularly comes up over and over again because it's so easy to get your brain around it incorrectly. Right. Yep. And his argument, as I understand it, um, it is twofold. Um, he says that the rich should pay more in taxes, personal, personal income taxes, and he also feels that the corporate tax code should be changed. Um, now... The argument that people make is, well, he's he's a hypocrite. Why doesn't he pay more in taxes if he thinks people should pay more in taxes or, or some? Right. No, that's exactly it. Right. 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 Or how, and also, why is Berkshire so effective at finding strategies to lower his tax rate if he feels that you know the corporate tax code should be changed to eliminate loopholes? Um, and then the corollary, he helped uh, uh, Burger King. Um, I mean, the, 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 around inversions, he's helped fund 
um, companies needing uh, funds in as part of inversion deals that move uh, their uh, headquarters overseas. Anyway, my whole take on that is just because the law is one way and Berkshire Buffett thinks that it should be changed doesn't mean that he should voluntarily, you know, send a check for twice the amount that he's required to pay to the IRS. I, I just think that that's really, really silly. And, and very importantly, the problem that needs to be resolved and why we somehow need to find a way to get more revenue to the government is because we run a massive deficit. As rich as he is, Buffett paying more is not going to solve that deficit. If everyone at his level paid more than their secretaries, you would start to chip away at it. So he doesn't solve the problem by doing what his critics say he ought to be doing. Um, I th- a great analogy is there was a study some time ago in the NHL um, asking hockey players whether they wished there was a rule that they had to wear helmets. They overwhelmingly said yes. They also said, you know, they asked, do you wear a helmet? They said no. Why? Because it would disadvantage them. Their peripheral vision How would old be is that restricted. That, it was quite a while ago. <laughs> But it was a, but from a behavioral perspective, yeah. I thought it was really interesting. Their point was, if everyone is disadvantaged to the same degree, I am in favor yeah. of it. But I'm not going to unilaterally right. disarm. I think part of it, and we have to wrap this up, a big part of it is that people don't quite understand what Warren Buffett is. <laughs> Warren Buffett is a businessman, flat out. That's it. He is a businessman. He owns a company, and the company's goal is to maximize profits. People mix they, – they get his persona mixed up with what he really is. Absolutely. And I think that's why we, we end up with this situation. But they also yeah. misunderstand or don't fully un- explore what he's actually said. He called derivatives right. weapons right, right. of mass destruction. That's part of a soundbite. It's the end of a – in a couple of his shareholder letters, a massive discussion about derivatives. So you can't just pick out the soundbite yeah. and ignore the, the other pages. All right. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back – Corporate CEOs, private speeches, and social media. Traveling on business? Then take us along and stay on track. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, Money Beat. Welcome back, Paul Vigna, Eric Holm, Jack Otter, and Chuck Jaffe. And Chuck Jaffe, my friend, uh, you have something sticking in your craw, something you wrote about this week. Uh, well, yeah, th- you, are you what are you, what are you what are you a little sore because Alan Mulally didn't want you to hear his speech? Chuck, no, if Alan is that what Mulally, it is? Folks want to call me, or if he wants to explain to me why he excluded the media from his speech at Schwab Impact here in Boston, if he wants to do that, I would thank him for yeah. making it that I didn't have to sit through another boring, ridiculous, dumb, say nothing Look, speech from a corporate executive. Yeah, that's... however. Let's However, back up a second. Let's back up a second so people know what we're yeah. talking about. So Alan Mulally this week was speaking at a conference up in Boston, Chuck, where you are, are based. And he made the speech private and excluded the media from it, even though it was a speech, uh, as you said, sponsored by Schwab. I think there were about 5,000 people at this speech. I mean, this clearly was not a small private group. But for whatever reason, he chose to exclude the media and what your column, as I got it, Chuck, really kind of hinges on is the fact that you can't really exclude people from a speech in the age of social media. Well, hey, they didn't. I mean, one of right. my friends, John Sullivan, whose Twitter handle is 401k editor, was tweeting about the speech and he was there. You know, they, they basically told us if you are registered as media for this conference, you will be escorted from the room. You can come to the awards that they were giving before Mullally's speech. You'll be escorted from the room. Mullally, as former CEO at Ford, a former Boeing executive, his old jobs may not mean a whole lot, but he's also a board member at 
Google or now, as we call it, Alphabet. And, you know, to exclude the media, well, they included every financial advisor. There were 1,800 of the people in attendance were financial advisors. Probably a third of them these days have blogs and, uh, and everything else. So if you allowed them in and they've got Twitter and Instagram and whatever else they want to use, and all any one of them needed to say was, oh, hey, listening to Malawi talk sounds like Google's going to be on a buying spree. Right. If you get a guy like Michael Kitsis, who is a brilliant financial advisor who has like 50,000 followers on Twitter, and he were to say something like that, that stock would be rolling only for five or ten minutes. But it would be rolling for five or ten minutes with the Flash Boys having a field day. Right. And, and that's the problem when you exclude the media is that, look, and I know we're, we're all biased in this room, obviously, but, you know, the whole point of having the media in this world is that you have a credible, objective source of information to find out what is real and what is false. And that is even more important in an age of social media when, you're right, Chuck, people can go on Twitter, and you see this a lot, a lot more than we should, People go on Twitter and they say some stupid thing that is wrong, either consciously or unconsciously, and it starts a brush fire. Now, Paul, we should point out that your comment that we are unbiased and objective and all that, lots of people take issue with it. I understand that. I'm not going to change that. But they have to agree. They, They can't dispute this point. As bad as they may think we are, is there a better alternative? Right. No. I I remember being a cub reporter. I went to cover a fundraiser. Al Gore was speaking in the Hamptons. I worked for the local paper. The Chris Whittle was the homeowner throwing the fundraiser. And they built this little tiny pen where they put all the journalists. We're all stuck in there. And maybe Gore would grace us with a comment, you know, halfway through the night. Well, Jerry Delafamina was there. You guys know the provocative ad man. He had a column in the local paper. He'd paid to go to the fundraiser. Mm So he was mixing around. He wrote a great column on it. There are other people there who wrote all the stuff. People like Malali, in this case, don't understand that media, just because they're registered, doesn't mean if, by keeping them out you black out the news, as, right. as Jaffe's point is. And this has been a misunderstanding people had for a long time. And, you know, Chuck, why do you think he did that in the first place? Oh, I have no idea. And nobody from Schwab, uh, it was a last-minute request that we're going to bar the media from the session. Nobody has, and and trust me, I was texting with people, and I talked to those folks who went to the speech. I will also say a whole bunch of folks felt that Alan Mulally would be boring enough that they didn't go. But <laughs> separate from separate from that, he didn't apparently say anything that anybody would go, "Wow, this was something that you would have wanted to protect from the media." Nobody has the vaguest idea why he did it. But you know, remember, he's talking to a room of financial advisors and money managers. You know, those are people with some significantly vested vested interests, and we're now at a spot. I mean, you know, the folly of the SEC, and we talked about this a week or so ago when he went out and they arrested this guy in Scotland, or they charged this guy in Scotland with price manipulation. The guy was manipulating two smaller stocks. One of them, they resulted in a trading halt, et cetera. The guy stood to make thousands. He made ninety-seven. Not ninety-seven thousand. He made ninety-seven dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's now facing a twenty-five-year prison term and a two hundred fifty thousand-dollar fine. But again, if you had had somebody tweeting off of Malali's move, and by the way, when he closes it to the media, he makes it harder for anybody to then come back and legitimize, like, "Hey, was that tweet right? What did he really say?" Right. All those other sorts of things. Yeah, you could have had that situation. And by the way, if he had said anything material. He would have violated Regulation FD. Right, right, 
Absolutely. So the SEC goes out for fair disclosure, and in him trying to do that, what he just did was guarantee that fair disclosure was gone. So that's not even a media question. That, if he was going to say anything, was a dissemination of information issue. Yeah. I wonder if it was some wacky compliance person. I, I bump into compliance oh, all the sure, time in sure. the strangest right. ways, and they're so and they're, inconsistent. The, the and the lawyer's interpretation of what mean what it means to meet the compliance rules is very different from reality. Our, our reality, <laughs> yeah, yeah, our understanding of it. So it, 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 it's, it, it can sometimes be people being squirrely about the rules, but you know, as you guys are pointing out, like it, it, it pretending or trying to be. Trying to be safe ultimately might be the exact wrong strategy about it, um, and, and it's not like this is an isolated incident either. There's a hedge fund conference that we send, you know, rafts of people out to cover in Las Vegas every year, where we just don't go into the room um, sometimes when it's supposed to be off the record because we just wait until someone comes out and tells us what it said, and then we don't have, <laughs> then we're not bound by that off the record agreement. Yeah, you know, but that's stupid. It, it, it would be more accurate. We, 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 you know, we, we make sure to talk to lots of people so we are truly, you know, know that what we're saying is it's correct. But, you know, there's always a chance for error if you if you don't actually hear the comment yourself. So right. the, the, and the end user is getting secondhand information instead right. of getting firsthand. Right. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's wrap it up there, gentlemen. I want to thank you for your time. Jack, Eric, and Chuck, thank you very much. Chuck, I hope everyone in Boston has a miserable weekend when the Giants beat the Patriots, but I, I, <laughs> I sadly don't think it's really going to happen. So I think we're going to have the miserable weekend. Uh, that is it, everyone. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you real soon. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.